0: The million dollar question, how do entrepreneurs transition from self-employed to owning a business that turns a profit? My name is Chris Waters, and this podcast has the million dollar answer. Welcome to CEO Secrets. Hey guys, it's Chris Waters, the host of CEO Secrets. I'm excited about our guest today, Paul Ross. Paul is an author, speaker, trainer, a master hypnotist, well, I'm going to ask oh. you. I don't know if you hypnotize me on Zoom, but I'm going to ask you. Um, a master practitioner of neurolinguistic programming, and for the past 30 years, he's taught tens of thousands of people the power of language to persuade, sell, heal, turn t- stumbling blocks into stepping stones, and pain into passion. Paul's speech and trainings have motivated audience around the world to discover the power to design their own results. Paul Ross, welcome to CEO Secrets.
1: Thank you, good to be here. And as I'm addressing your audience and as we explore this world of persuasion and influence together, I'm not sure at what points they might think, wow, this is amazing. I can see myself learning more from Paul, but as it's taking place, I just want to say I'm humbly, humbly humbled <laughs> to be here today.
0: <laughs> Paul, what's the one thing Um, you're actually selling no matter what industry or business um, audience you're speaking to. Well,
1: I always like to teach my students and clients that you're never selling your product or service. You're always selling decisions and good feelings about decisions. Now, I want you to take a step back. or Allow yourself. I invite you to take a step back on that realization and think about it. People have to make a decision no matter what your product or service is. And we do it through how we think in language. Language structures consciousness, shapes decisions, and drives behavior. So if you think of it in terms of how can I influence the decision-making process of the other person, and de-foc- not focus so much on what is it I'm going to sell, what are the traditional ways of doing things like the assumed clothes, would you like to have five of those, or would you like to order it in green, or would white do better? And instead, ask yourself this question. What states of mind do I want my prospects to be in when they first receive my facts, data, figures, numbers? Can I give you a metaphor? Sure. So let's say we want to conduct a current of electricity. And this is not a trick question, by the way, Chris. I have a sheet of gold foil and a sheet of cardboard. Which one of those is gonna conduct the electricity better? It's not a trick question. The gold foil. Exactly, the gold foil. So consider the states of consciousness that your prospects are in, like fascination, focus, a desire to be led like you, deep trust, rapport, to be the conductive medium. And the actual words you're going to say, the facts, data, figures about your product or service, are going to be like that electricity if you don't have them in the right states of mind they don't have that conductive medium so to speak your sales efforts are not going to be as successful or your any of your influencer persuasion efforts whether it's to influence your team or certain team members or to pitch a product understand that getting your audience in that state of trusting you being in rapport with you, even being childlike in their willingness to be led by you. That's the first thing you should consider.
0: So let me interrupt you for a minute. So basically, as a salesperson, we're typically all taught about the importance of our own mindset. And what you're saying right now is the importance of getting the, the prospect or the consumer in front of you, getting them in the right mindset to be more likely to buy.
1: They're both important, absolutely. When I look at champion salespeople, when I look at the difference between a star and a superstar, the superstar really has got the mindset nailed. And one of the secrets to a superstar mindset is you're interested in the sale, but you're invested in your skills. The superstars that I train, and and that's what I love to do is take stars and move them to superstars. The superstars that I study and notice and train all have a couple of beliefs they share. And one belief is, I'm interested in the sale, but I'm invested in my skills. They're constantly looking to hone their skills, mm-hmm. constantly looking to do that.
0: How, how long did it take you to learn how to be a hypnotist?
1: Oh, well, I think I'm a natural at, at that because I'm a really good subject. Although I think the word subject is not a good an accurate metaphor for what's actually going on in hypnosis, but to get good at it, it took me about five years, and now I've been doing it for over 30 years, and I'm I'm pretty good. It has many useful, handy-dandy applications, but let's be clear. By hypnosis, I don't mean putting someone to sleep or making them quack like a duck or suddenly think they're a famous rock star. That's stage hypnosis. By hypnosis, I simply mean assisting someone or leading them into a different state of consciousness where they can find solutions to problems because they have access to talents, capabilities, new beliefs that they didn't have prior to that. I
0: Is hired, this making sense? Yeah, yeah. I, so I hired a hypnotist to help me learn how to get more comfortable doing public speaking. And really? I, yeah, and I, and I feel like it did not help at all.
1: I have a three-minute cure for that. Okay, tell me See, it's, well, it's not that you're afraid of public speaking. I get that that's your current perception. It's that you're ashamed of your fear and you're trying to hide it. So if we subjectively assign 10 points of suffering to the fear and 10 points of suffering to the shame you have around it, and then 10 points of suffering around the physical tightening of the breath, those don't add up, they multiply. So it's 10 times time 10, which is... 100 times 10 is 1,000. So that's a lot of suffering. So what I get my students to do is to remove the shame around the fear and to simply admit the fear in a way that gets the audience on your side. So I had one student who was really afraid. He was in front of an audience uh, that I was happening to present at a seminar. I called people up on stage. I could see he was shaking. I sent everyone to their seats. I said, here's what you're going to do. The first realization is you're not It's not your fear that's holding you back, it's your shame about it. So you're going to admit your shame. And what you're gonna say is, everyone, I want you to know, I'm totally, excuse me, admit your fear. I'm totally afraid of being up here. It feels like I'm gonna throw up. However, that's only gonna last for like a minute. Probably won't go longer than a minute, 10 seconds, maybe a minute, 15. Let's have a fun game. Let's everyone look at your watches and see if you can get the exact time that my fear goes away. Now, the first time he said this, he was shaking and ready to, I think he was ready to hurl. But then he looked out in the audience and noticed they're not judging him. They're all doing what he told them to do. And he looked at me really confused. He looked back at the audience and looked back at me. And I said, now do it again. And this time, a lot of the fear had slipped away. And they were more, eager to look at their watches. And by the third time, he was standing differently, breathing differently. I didn't tell him to shift those things. That's a change from the outside in. I simply shattered his belief that the audience was judging him, and I turned him into someone who was telling the audience what to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. In hypnosis, we call it a pattern interrupt. When you take someone's pattern, Because people think, act, believe, react in predictable patterns, and you shatter it. You shatter their meaning pattern, their behavioral pattern, whatever. When you shatter it with a counterexample or something that is totally contrary to the beliefs, then they become extremely suggestible, and a new paradigm, a new way of thinking, a new direction can open up for you.
0: What about for folks that are like, you know, very ADD? Like, for example, like I'll give you my case. So like, I'm super ADD. So like when I have to do a presentation, I get distracted incredibly easy by the audience. And so it throws me off and I just go completely dark.
1: Wow. So you really go dark. There's a shadow that descends around you and and
0: It might as well be.
1: (laughs) Okay, so now we see that it's a metaphor. I don't want to do personal change work with you at the moment, Chris, uh, but what I would do were we to work together, and I have a long waiting list for that, but were we to work together, I would teach you to just return to your breathing and the feeling of your feet on the ground, because it grounds all that internal dialogue and puts it back into the body. Sometimes the biggest shifts we have, particularly if we're in our heads, can't be a shift in our head, it has to be a physiological shift. That's the intervention I would make with you. I would make a physiological intervention.
0: Hey, I have a question for you. Behind you is a um, newspaper that's got a, um, it's framed, and it looks like it's a, a movie star. Who, who is that, what is that about? Tom Cruise.
1: Tom i that's what I thought. And here's my cat, just
0: scratching it? the back of the chair. The what's one that was cat, What's your cat's name?
1: Prrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr Pernilla? Yeah. Pernilla was the one that was puking in the background. Yeah.
0: And then you're in the newspaper clipping. What's the significance of that?
1: Well, in an earlier, that's actually an article that was written in Dutch. It's from the Netherlands. In an earlier career, in an earlier incarnation, I coached guys how to meet women. Fundamentally, I was a pickup coach. And Tom Cruise did the movie Magnolia. that was loosely based on me, a very wildly exaggerated version of my character.
0: And, that, and so something I didn't talk about in your intro is how you, for 30 years, were a professional, I guess, lack of better words, pickup
1: artist? I don't like that word, pickup artist. I was someone who showed men how to open their potential to communicate with women in a way that was intriguing, that is intriguing, and uh, imaginative, and emotionally based. Rather, right? A lot of the guys I work have worked with Right. you see, this one wants attention right now. So if I lock her out of the room, she'll howl. A lot of the guys I worked with were IT people. It, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, sure. IT people, software programmers, engineers, and they thought in a very linear linear way. Uh-huh. The process of connecting to another human being is not linear. It's a nonlinear process. So basically what I did is teach them to, to think and communicate in nonlinear ways and to communicate in a way that was emotionally based rather than on facts, figures, and data.
0: What? Uh, when in your life did the light bulb flip or, or when did the switch get hit when you like became really a, fascinated with the power of your subconscious mind and the power of words and all those things? to Well, imprint? that
1: was when I couldn't get a date and I was like, 22 years old and walking up, I went to UCLA, I walked up Peru and walk, which is the main campus strolling area. I remember yelling out, when am I going to solve this? I heard a little voice of intuition in my head saying, when you solve this for yourself, you'll solve it for everyone. And subsequently, like five or six later, I stumbled onto neuro-linguistic programming and I figured, hmm, maybe I could use NLP to overcome my fear of rejection and to learn to communicate in ways that are a lot more imaginative and a lot more appealing and even compelling. And I, then I thought, hey, I don't want to work as a litigation paralegal. I can create a career. And I actually created, and I know this is a question we may get to, I'm not sure, um, but it's actually something I'm very proud of. I started an entire cottage industry that now has boomed worldwide into something that on every continent.
0: So um, just out of curiosity, when did you get NLP and who were you studying and learning? I
1: studied with Richard Bandler, the guy who created it, but I had some other teachers. But Richard was the primary one. Richard is the co-creator of NLP, the co-founder of NLP, along with John Grinder. And then there are actually a couple other people who are not widely credited for creating the discipline. I remember the moment I did it. I, was <laughs> I had had some introductions early on to NLP. I thought it was nonsense.
0: For, for the audience that is listening to this on iTunes and maybe through Spotify, Paul has got his cat um, crawling all over his computer and desk right now. And his yeah. and and his shoulder,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, she's not feeling well, so Daddy has to comfort her.
0: So the so NLP you were talking about the founders. You learned from some of the uh, founding members of the folks yeah. that started yeah. the NLP movement.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's fundamentally my answer. I learned from them, and my mind blossomed open. I immediately got what NLP was about. And it's not about the techniques. It's about the way of thinking about human thinking. I don't too much want to go into a technical discussion about NLP. We can do it if you want to, but I I don't want to lose the plot here.
0: So as a coach for salespeople, for example, where is it, you know, you find yourself spending the most amount of time helping them kind of go from being a star to a superstar? Is it Teaching them NLP, is it hypnotized?
1: It's it's teaching them how to think of sales in a different way. Look, if you have a sales process that's already working for you, keep doing it. I'm not saying that what I do is intended to replace it, but it will turbocharge it. I I think you'll easily see a 15 to 30% increase in your sales within the first three months to six months. So that's 90 to 120 days. And I work with those people I'll do it either one-on-one coaching or I'll coach a group of people.
0: I apologize for the audience listening to this cuz I'm selfishly curious from my own perspective. That's fine. I'm fascinated with NLP and like um, well, we can get you know, into, into a- it
1: deeply. We can get into NLP very deeply if you
0: want. To. I had a failed attempt with the hypnotist but I'm not still I'm still open to the idea. Um, what if if like say for example I wanted to hire you to be uh, you know a coach to help me Right, Um, be a better salesperson, communicator, et cetera. Well,
1: well, you probably couldn't because I'm, first of all, I'm the most expensive coach you'll ever be glad you hired. And I'm booked for, for months and months. Uh, The first thing I require is that people follow me for a while on my Facebook group. I have a uh, free Facebook group and I do live broadcasts there. My, what I teach is so out of, off the wall and not off the shelf, that you have to have some familiarity with the ideas before I would take you on as a client. And then you have to apply. And Just because look, I, I will smoke people out. If I'm the fifth or sixth or even the third person you have hired and you're just looking to have someone hold your hand, that's not me. So you go through an application process and, and I have to see how you're already doing. I mean no offense to people who are doing okay, they can easily find themselves buying one of my courses, but I want to work with people already pretty successful and are looking to add another six figures to their revenue in the next 60 to 90 days.
0: So if somebody was to get approved, how much would they expect it would cost?
1: It's Custom designed according to what they want, what their needs are, what their team members are. Look, if you want to set up uh, a call and talk to me about it, you go to speaker paul ross forward slash discovery it's speaker paul ross forward slash discovery and if you're interested in having me train you chris we can talk about it you can book a call with me and, or go there we can talk uh, we can talk about it
0: cool just to you know i'm going to take you up on the offer to dive a little bit deeper sure uh, when you think about like training salespeople, for example like i you know i've got a lot of salespeople underneath my real estate company um,
1: love realtors. I have to tell you why in a minute. <laughs> I'll tell you why in a minute, but go ahead.
0: So when you, you know, think about a prospect, what must you focus on and take into consideration um, as a salesperson to sk- skyrocket your sales? What's the first thing? Okay.
1: First and foremost, you have to get in the right mindset and you have to, let me say a couple things. You have to re- avoid seeking too much rapport. Rapport can be a bad thing because if you're too much in rapport with your clients, you could lose leadership. Leadership and responsiveness is more important than rapport. Rapport is important, but it's part of the overall frame of getting the prospect to be responsive to you. But first, you've got to get yourself in the right state of mind. I, I prefer to teach my clients not to be too enthusiastic, but instead go into a state where you're neutral, where you're outcome independent. You're more focused on the process than you are on the result. It's almost like, uh, I like to teach a metaphor, but I'll use another metaphor. I'm a little bit up there in years. I remember my father may his soul rest in the arms of God. My father used to have bifocal glasses. I don't know if you know what bifocal glasses are. Do you know? Mm -hmm. So the bottom ones were for reading up close and the top part of the glasses that were divided in half were for seeing far away. So I think to get really good at something, you have to be able to look at the steps that are right in front of your feet, the potential landmines and booby traps. But then you have to be able to keep your eyes on your vision. So I have an entire training on how to create the right mindset. And here's the most important thing. How can you learn from your mistakes so you go up the learning curve and you have a motivation that's not dependent? Hear me out here. It's not dependent on your feelings in the moment or the events of the day. How do you create a vision like that, that also allows you to be consistently intelligently motivated without being blocked by your old patterns of behavior? If I can give you a, a metaphor for that, yeah, please. All right, so being of the Jewish faith, when I was a young man back in 1966, I liked to break my little brother Stevie's toys. I was what you call clinically a schmuck. And in 1966, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. My sister Anita bought my little brother a toy robot. Back then, toy robots could do three things. You can make them go forward, you can make them go backwards, and you can make the lights in their eyes blink. And being a inquisitive little kid, I pressed forward and backwards at the same time. The robot began to shake. Blue smoke came out of its butt as the wires melted. It fell over. The robot had an internal conflict. And so I think many of us, as we're moving forward on our pathway to success, have an internal conflict. Yes, we want to move forward, we do our affirmations, we positively visualize, we write down our goals. Those are all necessary, I teach that. However, there's another part of us that's pulling back. And I think a lot of it has to do with the bad learning strategy. This is what I learned when I was teaching these guys who were so stuck and so depressed and hadn't had a date in 10 years, sometimes they were 30, 40, 50 years old and never had dates. Hmm. That they were constantly dwelling on their mistakes. For example, you may ask yourself a question, why did I blow that presentation? Why can't I succeed with the big money clients? And what does your mind do? It focuses on your errors over and over and over again. Now here's a universal law of the mind. Your mind can't tell the difference between what you're dwelling on and rehearsing and what you're programming it to do. So if you dwell on a mistake by asking why questions, why did I screw it up? And you're turning that, churning it in your head over and over and over, you're not doing it because you're a self-sabotager or you lack some mysterious fluid called self-esteem. You have a crap learning strategy. And what you're doing is without knowing it, you're just reinforcing. You're just reinforcing and reprogramming the mistake back in. So of course, when you go out to the world, Your brain says, hmm, what do I have the most examples of? Well, I have the most examples of all these thoughts of making mistakes, so that's what I'm going to do. So you wind up having the internal struggle. Half of your brain, that's a metaphor, it's not really a physical half, but part of your brain is looking at your vision boarding, is looking at your positive visions, is looking at your affirmations. The other half is looking at those 10,000 repetitions Of self-limiting statements of looking at mistakes. So can you understand how this would create a conflict? Sure. So if you've ever felt that the journey to personal realization or more success has been a tiring one, this is the how of it. This is the underlying structure of how it works. And part of what NLP allows you to do is look at the underlying structure, the process, the how, not the why but to how people do things. How do they repeat mistakes? So one of the things I'm going to make a claim that makes what I teach unique is unlike any other program out there, there are a lot of valuable ones. I can name a couple. Sandler has been around forever. Uh, They don't necessarily apply to real estate. They're really good. There's the core one. There's the one where you profile people. They're all great, but they don't teach you a way of learning from your mistakes. Have you heard this? And I know it's a rhetorical question. You've heard, just learn from every experience. You've heard that, correct? Yep. How many times do you think you've heard that in all the books you've read and all the...
0: Yeah, quite a bit.
1: But no one ever shows you an exact method to do it. And when I taught these guys who were so emotionally impacted, I had to come up with some good methods to stop that subconscious dwelling on mistakes. So what I can do for a team of people we are genuinely motivated is to teach them how to learn from the mistakes. And frankly, I know about real estate. My parents were real estate salespeople. They used to talk about the danglings, the deals that would fall through all the time. And that old saying, sellers are yellers and buyers are... Liars. That's right. And that sort of thing. Yep. The reality is that the world of sales is not necessarily linear. A lot of people have this view, and this is also part of my critique of... All the different sales systems out there they view it as a linear process you put in your 50 cents of prospecting it's a vending machine the vending machine model you put in your 50 cents of prospecting your 50 cents of qualifying your leads your 50 cents of getting rapport your 50 cents of your marketing presentation your 50 percent, 50 cents of closing etc cetera, etc cetera. out you push the button out comes the candy bar the sale and your commission Whereas we know the world of selling can be chaotic. There's always going to be factors outside your control. Human behavior, especially around buying and making those big decisions, is very ambivalent and ambiguous. It can be hard to figure out what went wrong. It just is, it's not a linear process. So teaching people to deal with the chaos of sales and to not take it personally, but to keep going. And at the same time, to notice what they did incorrectly. If all you do is have a positive attitude, yes, I'm going to move on to the next one. They don't matter. You may be missing a lesson that's embedded in there. And so I think a lot of so-called negative thinking is just the brain's attempt, a very bad attempt, to learn from the lesson. But no one teaches us how to learn from our lessons. We're taught math, spelling, reading, science, history. But no one teaches us the skills of emotional modulation, emotional regulation. How to learn from our mistakes in areas that are either very emotionally charged or they're tied to our survival. Earning our living is tied to our survival. No one teaches that. No system out there but mine teaches it. But it's 30 to 40% of being successful. Getting up that learning curve, particularly if you want to move from average to great and from great to superstar, you have to go up a learning curve. And your learning curve will be a lot quicker and a lot easier if you're not fighting yourself. And the other rule i'll give you is a hypnotist this is something i've seen in 30 years and any struggle between the conscious and the unconscious mind the unconscious mind will always win and so what makes these tech these patterns of gluing your mistakes back to you so insidious and so powerful is they do take place on the unconscious level you're not consciously aware that you're doing it or very very mildly or vaguely aware that you're doing it
0: so something I'm taking away from you is you talked about the one component of the brain where you're replaying all the errors and mistakes. And so yes, that kind of speaks to the power of, you know, visualizing success and replaying right. in your head.
1: I believe like in that.
0: Making up a movie in your mind of actually winning.
1: I um, believe in that. However, uh, I believe in that and not but listen to my language, Jean, and not but, because I do teach that, even with that, there's a way to do it where it's much more powerful and much more likely to work. It has It's an NLP technique, but I've modified it. But even with that, if you have, the mind works on familiarity, repetition, and momentum. So if you have 10,000 images and, and examples of how you screwed up, And then you do 150 affirmations, which one is going to have more momentum, have more mass to it? More what I call cognitive momentum and emotional inertia.
0: Well, the one you felt the most.
1: The one you've had the most repetitions. So I'm saying, yes, you must do. It is necessary to do those things if you really want to win to do your positive visualizations and that sort of thing. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying you got to do it. I'm simply saying, if you want to make them more powerful, you've got to find a way to stop reprogramming the old stuff in. And the only way you can do that is have a really great learning strategy.
0: Have you read a book by chance called The Ant and the Elephant?
1: No. What, who is it written by? I may have read other books by the author. It's a great title. Um,
0: yeah, it's well, it compares your uh, some cut, your subconscious mind to being an elephant and your conscious mind to being an ant. And it's a story about an ant riding an elephant through the desert, trying to find the oasis. And the ant through the whole thing is struggling because it keeps going in circles and it can't find the oasis. And this owl, an owl, uh, comes into its um, peripheral and tells him that you need to constantly be reminding yourself to have faith that you will eventually find the oasis and so he you know, says, okay, great, Mr. Al," and like, you know, still keeps struggling. And then the owl comes back and gives him another lesson and says, I want you to uh, think about every time you see a gold dot, a gold dot in this desert, I want you to think about that um, piece of advice I gave you to just have faith and optimism that you will eventually find the oasis when you have those moments of frustration and feeling of like, this is impossible.
1: Can I can I pause you there? I would much rather have uh, an owl that hands me a map that says, "Here's exactly where the oasis is." Here's a GPS, and by the way, I'll fly really slowly. Follow me. But go ahead with your go ahead with your story.
0: Yeah. So, anyways, it's a it's a really great book because it just talks about you know like that gold dot thing. Like you know, as he tells the story about the ant, the ant like consciously, you know, when he got down upon himself, he would randomly find. You know this thing that references the gold dot, which would put him back in a better headspace to be replaying this image of you know actually the, right. the goal. And I, I had a um, uh, a salesperson I know that read that book, recommended it, and what he did was he put sticky notes everywhere, like basically everywhere he would go throughout his day. That's
1: I write on glass like, boards. Yeah, I do. I write everywhere. It drives my girlfriend bananas.
0: I'm I'm kind of curious. Like, sorry, this is like. But can
1: I speak to that? Chris, yes, right. can I speak to the point? I want to speak uh, because it landed in a certain way for me. Persistence is necessary, but informed persistence with precision is what's required. Persistence is necessary, and informed persistence with precision and a view of what's actually going on is necessary. You can be persistent and banging your head against the wall because your map isn't right. You could persist in not seeing what's actually going on. You could persist in your mistakes. So persistence is a quality and a practice absolutely necessary, but again, it's not sufficient. The difference between necessary and sufficient conditions. If we want to build a fire, it's necessary we have fuel, but fuel by itself is not sufficient. It's necessary that we have a heat source, but a heat source by itself is not sufficient. It's necessary we have oxygen, but oxygen by itself is not sufficient. We need to have all three. So persistence is good, is fantastic, but you have to have precision. And you also have to have uh, you have to have precision. You have to have patience, but you've got to have that precision. You've got to have a clear view of what's actually going on. What is in the gap between you and your vision? Back to the metaphor of the bifocals. You've got to keep your vision there. And then you have to say what's in the gap between myself and getting there.
0: Paul, I've got a question for you. Um, for, for myself and anybody listening to this included, you mentioned the Facebook uh, group. What's the name of that Facebook group for people to engage with you and, and access your content?
1: Go to speakerpaulross.com forward slash group. And we'll send you the invite. We'll give you the link to join. SpeakerPaulRoss.com forward slash group. I do a live stream once a week. And you can always watch the replay. And I always answer questions. If you post a video question or any kind of question, I'll jump in there and answer it. Because I love doing that. That's a great way to engage with me.
0: And you also published a book called The Subtle Words That Sell.
1: Here it is. How to get your prospects to convince themselves to buy and add top dollars to your bottom line. If you want to get that, you can grab it on Amazon or here we go. Go to subtlewordsatsell.com. We'll show you how to get it on Amazon, but it'll redirect you back to my site and you'll get two free video courses. One is on destroying objections and the other is on building a winning mindset. I'll give you, by the way, I'm going to give away a goodie here on destroying objections, if I may. Please. My parents used to hear this one all the time. And they were not good salespeople. They'd say, the prospect would say, when they did a lot of hunting for listing, they called it caravanning, and then they would caravan. I don't know if you guys still do caravanning anymore. Not no, it's it's a long dead thing. But this is back in the 60s, do you understand and they thought they had someone who would sign them up. And then they'd say, your commission seems a little high. Would you consider coming down a bit? And my parents who wanted to be liked more than they wanted to sell would do it. And so I have a great counter example to that. I don't think it ever happens anymore because there's standard commissions, but it's a great counter example. The counter example is, well, Mr. Prospect, what you haven't yet realized is with the right agent, you're not paying a commission. You're investing in skills. Maybe you get lucky with the bargain basement agent, but do you really want to gamble with the most important asset of your life, your home? Do you like it? That's good. It's really good. good. It's really good. So uh, I I have a fond soft spot in my heart for realtors and real estate agents, because my parents were in that profession. They struggled so much.
0: Paul, thank you so much for being on CEO Secrets. Um, I'm, I'm fascinated by just your background and everything you've been involved, uh, involved in. And um, I look forward to um, reading your book and um, engaging in your uh, Facebook group and um, you know finding out maybe here in the near future what it would look like to work with you.
1: Yeah, if you want to do that, just go to speakerpaulross.com forward slash discovery and we can set up a call. Cool. Okay.
0: I appreciate you again, Paul. Thanks for being on CEO Secrets, guys. If this is your first time tuning into CEO Secrets, our whole goal here is to help people become leaders and influencers in their community and in their business. And I um, hope the insight from Paul about the power of your conscious and subconscious mind, how those things intertwine into our ability to influence people, was impactful in in your world. And uh, tune into um, our next episode of CEO Secrets, and be sure to hit that subscribe button. All right, bye, guys. Bye, everybody. I know. Want more CEO secrets? If so, you can get a free copy of my book, The Million Dollar Real Estate Team at www.themilliondollarrealestateteam.com for free. Inside this book, you'll find my top secrets that we've used to net $1 million in just three years.